Hello, Higher Vision Church, and welcome to our online campus. We're kicking off a new sermon today called Nowhere. Have you ever felt like you're far away from God? We want to encourage you that God is with you. And whether you're listening on our podcast, on YouTube, on our website, or wherever, join us today from our Valencia campus with Pastor Jared Me. talk to you on the theme of nowhere. And as I thought about this theme, um, I I started thinking about a refrigerator. Some of you are like, what does that have to do with nowhere? Well, when I think of a refrigerator, some things come to mind. One of the things that come to my mind when I think of a refrigerator are the pictures that people put on the front of their refrigerator. How many of you have some pictures on the front of your refrigerator? All right. Postcards, Christmas cards, right? So this is one of the pictures that come from my refrigerator at home. I decided to bring it this morning. And uh, it is, well, that's really a strong magnet. It's this picture right here. I don't know if you can see that very well, but uh, that is actually a picture of Devette and I when she was 18 years of age and I was 20 years of age. A long time ago, it was our first official date where we went to the fair together. And we, we went in one of these little booths and took pictures. Um, here's another picture, and uh, this is a picture of our family, and they uh, started a church called Prodigal. Some of you remember John Richardson was here not long ago, about a year ago, and church is doing great. And this is before I became along. This is Dex and Sarah, and that is John Richardson. So we've got, you know, people put pictures on, on their refrigerators. You know, the second thing I think of when I think of a refrigerator is I think of cold cereal. How many here, anybody like cold cereal? How many when you're in college, that's about all you ate when you're in? I, I love cold cereal. In fact, when I was young, I would eat it sometimes three times a day. Um, and uh, I used to think that cold cereal was like good for you because, you know, it has milk. I mean, no milk does the body good. It makes your bones strong. Um, and, uh, and so then I discovered that cold cereal really isn't that good for you after all. So I was looking up online the other day, and I found the three worst cereals that you can eat. So right now, I'm going to share with you the top three worst cereals to eat. Some of you are going to be a little disappointed right now because this is going to be your favorite cereal. So the third top cereal that you should not eat or that's worst for you is a cereal called Fruit Loops. Come on, do we got any Fruit Loop fans in the house? All right, so at least you're not the worst, Okay. So Fruit Loops, you know, how could it be that bad? It's got fruit in the name, right? So Fruit Loops, um, you know, another cereal that's the second worst cereal that you can eat, it is, you ready? Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks. Wait a minute, it's got apple in it. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. I've been eating lots of 
Apple Jacks, so I don't have to go to the doctor. Okay, so here's another one. Um, this is now the worst, the worst cereal that you can eat. You ready? Some of you are getting a little nervous because you're hoping it's not your favorite cereal. You ready? And it is Honey Smacks right there. Did you hear that? Somebody was just devastated. They're going into depression. How could this be bad? I mean, honey. Honey's from bees. That's organic. I, I guess. I don't know. So we got it. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, well, if I'm going to show cereal, I might as well show you the greatest cereal of all time, the cereal that I would eat if I had cereal that I could eat, which I'm not eating right now. Um, the greatest cereal, and you know it's the greatest cereal of all time because you eat it, and it's still good even when it's soggy. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? So here we go. The greatest cereal of all time is, this is really spiritual stuff we've got going on here. Fruity Pebbles. Come on. Got any Fruity Pebble lovers in the house? All right. Some good stuff. You know, it's funny is that you look at these names and these names kind of try to draw you in that they're good for you. Somehow they're organic because, I mean, you've got fruit, you've got apples, you've got honey. I mean, what could be wrong with that? But what we discover is actually it's kind of a false advertising a little bit because they're they're really trying to make you think it's one thing when it's another. And so in this idea here of these names, it's, the name doesn't really represent really what it is. When it comes to the Bible, Bible names do represent what it is. In fact, oftentimes a name would represent a place or something that would describe that place. You have names like Jerusalem. Jerusalem means foundation of peace. That's what the name Shalom, Jerusalem, means peace, the foundation of peace. You have the name of a city in Israel was called Bethany, house of dates. It was where there grew lots of dates. It's not a place for those of you that are single to go find someone else. It's just making that clear. You had other names like Golgotha. It was called Golgotha because of the, it looked like a skull. It was a hill in the shape of a skull. And so biblical names have meaning. Well, today what I want to do is I want to take a story um, about someone who ended up in a place that had a name. But I want to give that place a name, and I want to call it Nowhere. Everybody say Nowhere. nowhere. And I'm going to use a story about uh, these twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older of the two twins. He came out first. Jacob, when he came out after him, was holding the heel of his brother, Jacob means heel grabber. It also means deceiver. And they had names. And what happened was, is when they were born, Jacob wanted what Esau was supposed to get, which was the blessing. The blessing was given by the father to the oldest son. It meant that he got two-thirds of the inheritance. It means that there were things that he had power of attorney and authority over the family. There were all these things. And Jacob wanted what Esau had. Well, what happens is, is he ends up fulfilling his name as a deceiver, as a grabber, a taker, and he ends up stealing the blessing. His dad had become blind, and so he went in and impersonated his brother and stole the blessing from Esau. Esau is so angry now that he says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob now runs, and he ends up in the middle of nowhere. In fact, since we have the refrigerator and sometimes you have letters, I decided that I would make use of it today because some of you, like this, are in the middle of nowhere. Someone say nowhere. 
So I want to read, in fact, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. I want to welcome, can you welcome with me all the church family that's joining us online in Texas, San Francisco, Italy, Colorado. Come on, welcome all your church family from around the country and around the world. So glad you're with us. Let's all read now Genesis 28, verse 10. Let's, let's hear it together. Ready? Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. Jacob ends up in the middle of nowhere. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we, we lean into you. We know you're here when we gather in your name, you're present. And I pray today that you would speak loudly through the words that I share. God, I know that there are people that are here today feeling like they're in the middle of nowhere. Spiritually, there are some that aren't in the middle of nowhere, but Lord, we know that at least once in life we end up there. And I pray today that you'd speak to us and teach us and empower us in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated. See, what's crazy is that Jacob, he finally gets what he always wanted, but he's not all it's cracked up to be. He ends up alone, he ends up afraid, he ends up in the middle, unhappy, in the middle of nowhere. And so when he gets there, all he has is a walking stick, all he has is a rock to lay his head on, he falls asleep. While he's asleep, God shows up in this dream and begins to speak things to him. And when he wakes up, here's what happens. I want to read this part of the story to you, and then we'll give you a couple points today. The Bible says that in Genesis chapter 28, then Jacob woke from his sleep, and here's what he said. I love this. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is it is none other than the house of God the very gateway to heaven when you feel like Jacob that you wanted something but then when it happened it wasn't all that was set up to be and maybe you've ended up in a place you didn't think you would be at this stage of life you've ended up somewhere and you're running there's problems you're running from your past you don't know where you're really running to the things have fallen apart you're not sure how to handle every situation and now here, here you are by yourself all alone out in the middle of nowhere when you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere here's the first thing I think God wants you to know number one it's simply this God is with you can someone say God is with me you see he says surely God is in this place when I feel like I'm nowhere, when I feel like I'm forgotten, God is with me. And today, if you feel that way, I want you to know that God is with you. God will show up in the transitional, lonely, unsure, confusing, disappointing moments of your life. In fact, the scripture says that he is an ever-present help in time of need. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you need to know that God is with you. In fact, I want you to hear what God specifically said to Jacob. Jacob, it says in, in Genesis 28, God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you, and I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So he's saying, in a moment we'll finish, he's saying, listen, the, the promise I gave your grandfather, I'm giving it to you too. I've given you this land, and then he goes on to say, but that's not enough. 
you need to also know what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Now here's what I want to point out. We, we get the whole thing, God is with us. We're not alone. But here's what's interesting about this passage. I think it's interesting that God makes a very clear distinction about this season that he's in because here's what basically God does. God says, I want you to know that I see that you're in the middle of nowhere. I want you to know that I understand you're running from your brother and, and your prayer, your main prayer is that your brother won't kill you. But here's the deal. I want you to know one day maybe we'll come back here and work on this. But I want you to know that whether we fix the problem or not, I'm with you. I've got you. Now, this is significant, and here's why. Because a lot of us, here's our issue, is we're like, okay, God, that's cool and everything. I'm glad you're around, but can you fix my problem? But it's interesting that God says, listen, I'm not going to fix your problem. I just want you to know that I'm with you because the big idea is that nowhere will always be filled with my presence. When you have no people, when you have no possessions, you have my presence. I'm glad to have your presence, God, but could you make my marriage better? I'm glad to have your presence, God, but could you um, help me get a better job? And sometimes what ends up happening when we're in the middle of our nowhere, our difficulty, we get so fixed on the problem that we forget about the presence. But I want to tell you something. Right now, your top priority may not be God's top priority. Our top priority is fix my problem, and then I'll be happy. But can I tell you? Sometimes God is more concerned about your character than he is with your happiness. Can I say that again? Sometimes God is more concerned with your character than he is with your happiness. You see, Jacob, he had some character issues. And, and he wanted his problem fixed. But what God is saying, listen, don't worry about your problem right now. Just understand that I have your presence. Let me explain it this way. Um, you know, this week I was in San Diego. I was preaching at C3 Church. And we had a day in between. I did four services on Sunday, three in the morning, one at night. Then I had the day off on, on Monday, and then Tuesday I was speaking again that evening, and so we got a chance to go golfing. We went to a golf course that I've wanted to play for a while. It's called La Costa. Beautiful course down there, a resort, and they have two 18-hole golf courses, and my son Tanner was with me, and we went out, and I'm going to tell you, it was a gorgeous day in San Diego. I mean, this beautiful, beautiful course, and here I am with my son, and you know, this is a big deal, because my, my son, along with three of the interns here at Higher Vision, Andre over there is one of them, they're getting ready, if you don't know this, you haven't heard me, they're getting ready to ride bicycles from the coast of Oregon to the coast of New York, 3,200 miles. Now, they're not just gluttons for punishment. And they're not just weird, but they feel God has called them to raise awareness and rescue people from sex trafficking. So what they're doing is they're writing and they're asking people to give. You can go to rideforfreedom.co. That's their website. And so far, they've raised several thousands of dollars. And here's what's interesting. Every thousand dollars they raise in Cambodia will send a SWAT team in to rescue a woman from a brothel and put them in six months 
of uh, rehab to set them up to live a life of freedom. How many think that's a good thing? So they're raising money. They're literally riding on the land. They don't have hotels set up. They're going to riding 60 to 100 miles, stopping in a city, going to church and say, hey, can we sleep on your porch? We're trying to use all of our money to go as much as possible towards rescuing as many women as possible. And so here I am with my son realizing that, you know, he's going to be gone for 54 days riding his bike and I have, have time with him. So we're spending time together. And, and as we start to play, I'm finding myself getting very angry because I'm fairly competitive. Come on, do we have any competitive people out there? I want to shoot well and I want to win. If winning is an option, why choose anything else? You know what I'm saying? So I start playing, I have these new clubs that I'm getting used to and I'm hitting shanks to the left and I'm hitting it off to the right and I'm getting all mad and I'm frustrated and you know, throwing my club back in the bag and finally Tanner looks at me, he's like, Dad, Dad, hey, look at how beautiful the day is. Look at the beautiful course we're on. He's like, you're spending time with your favorite child. (laughs) He said, Dad, don't be angry. We're hashtag blessed. And so we took this picture right here. See that beautiful course? You see, I was so focused on a problem that I wasn't enjoying the presence. The presence of time with my son. And the same principle is true for us is that you and I, sometimes we get so focused on our problem and wanting God to fix our problem that God wants you to know what's more important than the problem is my presence. Because the key to joy in your life is my presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. God is with you. You see, God is sometimes more concerned about your character than he is about your happiness. You see, Jacob had been a deceiver, and through his deception, he had stolen the blessing. So God was getting ready to send him on a journey where he was going to go to his uncle Laban's. And when he got there, what he didn't know is that his uncle Laban was going to deceive him. And it wasn't until years later that he's reconciled to Esau. The point was is that God said, I'm more worried about your character than your happiness. So here's the thing. I'm going to let you be in a season of nowhere because your season of nowhere is my process for helping you become the person of character that I've called you to be. So what's the message if you're in the middle of nowhere? Instead of getting all mad and pointing your finger at God and trying to fix everything, maybe you need to step back and say, I have your presence, and your presence is enough. Come on, say, somebody say, God is with me. It's a good word, amen? Amen. I want to give you the second thought, and it's simply this. When you're in your season of nowhere, you need to rename the places you're in and the places you've been. Rename the places you're in and the places you've been. It's interesting because after he has this encounter with God, God says, I'm with you. I've got you. My presence is going with you. Then he wakes up. Let's read in Genesis 28. It says, the next morning, Jacob got up very early. I guess he was an early riser or that stone wasn't that uncomfortable. (laughs) It wasn't that comfortable. He took the stone he had rested his head on and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. Now look what it says. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. How many of you ever felt like you were in a season where you were constantly losing? 
You're in your season of, of loss, a season of lose, right? You've, you're losing. Things aren't what you expected them to be. And here's what happens. When he gets in this situation, because he realizes God's in the situation, he renames the place that he's in. You see, a lot of us are in a place, and the problem is, is that we get stuck in that place. In fact, it's interesting because Genesis tells us at the beginning of the story, Genesis 28, um, it tells us this. It says that Jacob left Beersheba to travel toward Haran. Here's the interesting thing. God did not call him to lose. He called him to Haran. But there's a lot of us that end up nowhere, and we get caught up in our nowhere. And we lose our joy in our nowhere. And we lose our purpose in our nowhere. And then suddenly we start thinking that our destination is our nowhere. But his destination wasn't nowhere. His destination was somewhere. And what you need to know is that God hasn't called you to stay in your nowhere. He's called you to go to your somewhere. Your nowhere is a layover to get to your somewhere. If I travel on a plane to go somewhere like Michigan, I'm going to stop in Denver for a layover because the layover is just a transition to get me to my somewhere. And the reality is a lot of us, unfortunately, we get in the middle of our nowhere and we get stuck there because we've left that name the way it is. We've embraced that name. That's who we are. I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to be in debt. I'm always going to struggle in my marriage. And we stop in our nowhere, not realizing that it's just a layover to get us to our somewhere. Come on, that's a lot of preaching. It's a lot of words. Nowhere, somewhere, everywhere, over there. I love it because he doesn't leave it lose. He says, no, this is the place of God's presence. Maybe right now you've named it debt. Maybe right now you've named it depression. I want you to know something. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to give this a new name. It's not going to be, maybe you need to start picturing the the reality that it's not your destination, it's just your layover. And maybe you need to rename it instead of it's my waiting room, maybe it's my preparation room. Instead of my setback, maybe God, this is my setup. Because this is not my stopping point. This is my layover to get me to my somewhere. Where's your nowhere? What have you embraced? What have you called your situation? What are you sitting in that you're letting it stay the way it is? When God maybe has something more for you, you know, we see that in the story of of Jacob's family. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, he, I, I just think that Jacob had to have heard this story before because here's the interesting thing is that Abraham, his dad, this is the great-great-grandfather of Jacob, his great-grandfather was named Terah. And if you read the story in Genesis, this is what most people don't realize, actually Terah, Abraham's dad, he was the one who left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But the Bible says that along the way, he stopped in the middle of nowhere, and it was a city called Haran. And the Bible says he stayed there, he settled there. In fact, his name Terah means to settle. 
So he embraced his nowhere. Now, here's what's interesting about that name there, the nowhere, Haran, where he stopped and didn't get there. Now, we know that Abraham eventually did leave and went and got the promise he got to his somewhere. Do you realize, most people don't know this as well, is that Abraham had a brother, and that brother died at a young age. And you know what his brother's name was? Haran. And I don't think it's an accident that it just so happens that Terah, who was supposed to go somewhere, got to his nowhere and stopped in Haran, the place of his pain, the place of his loss, and instead of renaming it as a layover to get to my somewhere, he embraced his pain, he, he ended up staying in his pain, and he stopped in his pain, and I wonder how many people now are living in Haran because they weren't willing to rename the place that they're in. God hasn't called you to nowhere, he's called you to somewhere. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Maybe your Haran is the loss of a loved one. Maybe your Haran is you lost your job. Maybe your Haran is that you went through a divorce. Maybe your Haran is someone hurt you in church. And here's what we need to learn is that when we're in our nowhere, we don't just recognize that God is with us, but we say, God, I'm gonna rename this place. I'm gonna take authority and name it. It's not gonna be my setback. This is my setup because this is not my final destination. God, you are taking me somewhere. Rename the places you're in and rename the places you've been. Now, I want to end the story with this part. Genesis chapter 35 tells us that God speaks to, to Jacob and he says, I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to go back to the place you've been. Here's what's interesting. I'm just going to tell you what God kind of was saying to me as I read through that. First of all, when this happens, it's at least 15 years to 16 years after he was in his nowhere. And during that time, God took him to his uncle Laban's. While he was there, God began to change his character, changed his character. He, he went through some deception. Remember, he thought he was going to get one person as his wife, and then the Laban switched him out on him, and he got Leah instead of Rachel. And so he ended up having to work 14 years for the one that he, he really was in love with. And he ends up getting his family while he's there. He ends up getting great wealth while he's there. He ends up leaving there and having to reconcile with a, a, a difficult relationship in his family. And then God calls him back to Esau. Finally, God starts fixing the problem. And here's why. God could fix the problem because he had already started to change his character. And because he'd walked through and understood what it means to, to, to reconcile with family, because he'd reconciled with Laban, because he'd worked through the character changes in his own life, then God took him back and he was able to then reconcile with Esau. And now once his character has been changed and all of these things begin to happen, he began, then God said, I want you to go back. You know, it just made me think, how many of us need to take some moments in our life to go back? To go back. Remember, remember that old song, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Anybody remember that old song? Take me back. Some of us need to go back. Some of you need to go back to the place where you had stones to sleep on. You know, we tend to forget how far we have come. We tend to forget where we are. I may not be where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. 
Sometimes God, I believe, says, listen, you need to go back and rename the places you've been because you thought it was the place that was going to hurt you. You thought the place that was going to destroy you, but it wasn't the thing that was going to hurt you and destroy you. It was the thing that was going to prepare you for getting to the place I've called you to because you're called to a somewhere. I think about in my own life when we're worshiping and singing songs, it's your breath in high lungs, so we pour out our praise. And you know what? A lot of you, I'll, I'll look around the room and I love to see Higher Vision Church family lifting their hands and worshiping and singing. And, and some of you, maybe you're looking at the worship leader or you're, you're looking at the screens and, and it's drawing your attention to maybe things that got it. For me, when we start to sing, you know what I do is I think of those old stones, let me show you a couple old stones. You know, when we started Higher Vision Church, we didn't have anything, but we did have a trailer and we had a truck. We didn't have a building, we didn't have any people, we didn't really have any money. We didn't have anything, but we did have a trailer and a truck filled with equipment with the vision that God was going to take us somewhere. You can see the, the front of the truck there. We actually have the, guys, if you pull up the next slide, you can see the logo of Higher Vision Church when we first started right there. And then you can see the other stone. Let me show you another stone. This was when we first started, one of our first services. There you go. The residence inn, we had 15 people. And that, and that included the janitor, because we counted everybody back then. He had changed the trash. It might have been 60, because we had a dog run by. I mean, we counted everything. And I look back to that moment, or I look back to the group of people that the first time we went out and passed out flyers to tell people that Higher Vision was starting, and there was a new church with a vision, and we're standing in a circle, and several of those people are still here, a part of this church right now. That, that was a stone. That was a difficult time. It wasn't easy. We didn't have what we have now. We didn't have the resources we have now. We didn't have the people we have now. We were able to do the things we do now. And then you go on to our, our school, the first school we moved into. And, you know, sometimes I look back, and I'm thankful for those hard stones that didn't feel so good that were uncomfortable because you see it reminds me that God had somewhere for me 